Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. That's a lot of part of it. You just have to play. You can't buy new materials and then go to a big canvas and think I'm going to create a masterpiece. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pressure. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with artist Sandy Hester. In the conversation, you'll discover a great way to tackle a new medium, what to do if you want to paint plein air but can't seem to find the right spots, and why it is so, so, so important to create protected spaces in your art practice just for the creating part, plus a whole lot more. In the extended cut bonus available in the podcast art club, we talk about focal points and why you may or may not need one. And Hester explains how she thinks through what she sees and how she then translates that to actual layers of paint. Hester mentions some great resources from her YouTube channel in the conversation, and you can find links to those and her extended cut bonus at the show notes, learn to paint podcast.com slash podcast slash episode 93. I start the interview by asking Hester how she got started in art. I have always been creative from childhood. My parents are both creative and my grandmother was an artist, pottery artist, and she's probably the first one that put a loaded brush in my hand and, and I got to feel that and kind of sit around with her and do art. But it wasn't until after college, so early adulthood, that I actually started painting. And from there, it just has been part of my life ever since. How did you find acrylics, but also mixed media? I first started off in watercolor, I think just because it felt accessible and easy and inexpensive. You know, it just could start off easy. And I did that for years and had quite an audience and quite a following. In fact, a lot of my followers sometimes will still say, we wish you'd go back to watercolor. So they liked the way I did that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going back there. Not in the same way that I used to paint, but no, I never loved, loved it. And then I found oils and it was just like, oh, hallelujah. I, I just loved it. I loved everything about oils. I was so much more prolific. But then I started developing lung allergies. I developed some lung issues after an illness. And then it did not matter what I did, what, you know, how I changed anything up. It just wasn't going to work. And so I had tried acrylics before oils for like a hot minute and hated them. I just thought, how does anybody use this medium? It is just atrocious. And then that's when I found oils. But then when this lung issue came up, it was like, okay, I didn't really want to go back to watercolors. So I was like, I got to figure this out. And I'm one of those that it's like, if I want to learn how to do something, if I'm like, I'm not good at painting cats, I'm like hot doggity, I'm going to do it. And I just dig in and just, you just experiment and experiment and practice and practice. And you had to figure out how did I want that medium to go down, how to do the subjects I wanted to. So for me, it feels like a science project a little bit. I get bored very easily. So it, it just was fun to try the different brands, the different mediums, all of that. No, I found it. Now I just can't even imagine using any other medium. I absolutely just love it. 
what I find so interesting about this is that so often as beginners, we'll try a medium and then it won't seem like the right fit for us. But what I hear you saying is like, yes, some of that is like, we'll know it immediately. But also some of it is you have to figure out how that medium works for you. Yes. And I think nowadays, in some ways, it's easier. In some ways, it's harder because there's so many options out there, either with colors or mediums, even just the different types of acrylic, and even just from like thinner to heavy body. And it can feel overwhelming, especially if you don't have a big budget to be able to like purchase all those and play. I do find though that if you'll just play with what you have and not be too afraid of like wasting things, there's so much that happens in just play and experiment and color charts, learning what your materials do and not worrying about either archivalness or longevity or what's supposed to go over what. I've gotten in, in my mixed media years, these last few years where I've really just been playing with everything and I'll mix anything and layer anything. In fact, this new cl online class that I have with painting birds, I show like, you could even put watercolor and gouache on the top layer of oil pastels and a whole bunch of other things. And I mean, maybe not on things that I would sell, maybe if they were under glass, but when I'm playing in my sketchbooks to get different layers and marks and it's interesting because I have recently brought back watercolor and gouache into my mix of things, but I'm using it completely different. The way I lay it down, the way I load up a brush, it's just so different. And sometimes I do love digging into like stuff that I've bought that I'm like, eh, didn't really love that. And yeah, I don't know, a lot of times I'll just discover new things as I'm getting in there and just playing. That's a lot of part of it. You just have to play. You can't buy new materials and then go to a big canvas and think I'm going to create a masterpiece. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pressure. And like, you haven't even had time to see, you know, an ultramarine in one brand and thickness of paint is going to be so different or a burnt sienna. And just to get to know your paints or your materials, it's kind of like sitting down at the piano to practice and to learn. So that way, when you really come to the recital or when you come to actually play for your family at the piano, you know where the chords are, you know what they do and how they play. And and it doesn't feel as stressful. You don't have as much pressure on you. All of that goes into the play and practice. And a lot, especially beginners, skip that and go right into, I want to create like sellable stuff. And I'm like, holy moly. <laughs> no, 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 please. That's like the worst thing you could do. We're going to transition into materials a little bit. Because you work across a bunch of different materials throughout your process, is it important for you to have any sort of consistency in those materials or just similarities between some of them? Or is it all new all the time, just a lot of practice? It really depends. I do change things up a lot. I get bored very easy. And it just depends a lot of times on the location, the subject, what I'm in the mood for, you know, how heavy I want my bag to be or how light I need my bag to be if I'm going to take half the studio or just a small percentage of the studio. But there are sometimes I do want consistency. So if I'm using paint, so let's say I'm using acrylic gouache, I do want consistency because the paints that I use for my canvas or larger paper that's going to be sellable work, I know the piano keys and I use matter paint anyways for those finished works. So they're going to be very similar to the matte paint that I'm using. And so I want an ultramarine in both. I want a burnt sienna in both and like a transparent burnt sienna, not just any burnt sienna. I want the piano keys to be the same. So that way, not so much so I can translate it the same, but because when I'm out there, 
on location or even just in my studio making sketch work, I want to get to it. I don't want to necessarily be stumbled up with those. I want to know the piano keys. And often when I'm like out on location and landscape painting, if I'm taking like acrylic wash with tubes, I'm just shoving my brush down in the tube. I'm not like squeezing it out on the palette. Or if I'm squeezing out anywhere, it's like on the sketchbook and just mixing it there. Or if I do need a palette for some reason, really the only reason you need a palette is to kind of get the paint up into the brush, load it. And so I'm often like, oh no, I didn't bring a palette. So I'll just use like the lid of the box that I use to bring the paints. I've recently found a very handy palette and that is my hand and arm. One day I just couldn't reach, like the box was in a little bit of a weird place for me to use the lid. And I was like, oh, my thumb's right here. I'll just use the back of my hand because I just need to swoosh it enough to get it up into the brush really well. And so I've been using my left arm and hand a lot for palettes. It's kind of like, well, that works. That's fine. And use what you have. <laughs> I have my left arm. <laughs> what I love about what you're saying, though, is that, again, like so many of us, especially when we're beginners, we get to something that is different than we thought. And we think, oh, no, I either have to go buy something new or I can't move forward because of it. And what I hear you saying is you say, oh, well, I'll figure it out. It's like, oh, I'll figure it out. What can I do right here? And that's such a different way of thinking. It's about just having fun, not worrying about making a mess. Just use your supplies. I think we get really, especially as beginners, just kind of like we don't know how to use things. And then we don't, for some reason, because we want to just jump straight to something sellable, we don't take the time to experiment and play. And you asked about the materials. So I did say that sometimes I do want them to be consistent, but there's a large chunk of the time I don't want them to be consistent at all. I want to use completely different materials than what I use for sellable work. So things like colored pencils, watercolor markers, paint markers, neocolor twos. I mean, you name it, if you go into an art store, I pretty much have it. But things that are mark making, it's usually quite a heavy bag when I take that because I don't know really what I'm going to want to use. Also, if you're going to use something like color pencils or neocolor twos, things that you can't mix exactly, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit more, or in my case, a lot more of colors. What I have found is so nice is I still learn those piano keys. I know where the colors are that I want to grab. It takes a while to learn that. But when I'm outside on location, I've left the house. The bathroom clock has started ticking. For me as a woman, I'm probably going to have a limited time. I need to get to it. And I'm grabbing stuff like crazy. What is nice about that is sometimes I'm reaching into my bin of Neocolor 2s and the darks kind of all look the same. You can't really tell. Is it a purple or is it a blue? And Oftentimes I'm grabbing something that I think is one color, but it's not what I thought. And so I'm getting different colors. And a lot of times I'm like, oh, that was so much more exciting than the color I thought that I was picking up. You also get different marks with all of those materials, a big old fat, chunky paint marker that because of the brand, maybe it's just a very specific color isn't exactly what I would have mixed. What's nice about that, because I know my piano key so well with my limited paint colors, these other mediums make me use colors that I normally maybe wouldn't use. And so it kind of teaches me and introduces colors into my palette. And so then when I bring those sketches in to then make further paintings from, 
I'm trying to interpret now how, okay, those scratchy marks that I did kind of childlike, just digging into the paper with my color pencil for a tree or whatever it is, or an outline as I'm doing a figure, I'm like, oh, I like the way that orangish neo color did that mark and kind of left a little scratchiness. Then to me, that feels exciting to how do I translate that into paint? Makes me think about using the brush differently and the colors differently. And so it kind of pushes me and it's really taught me bringing tons of mixed media into my sketching practice has stretched me in color and mark making and value and the way that I would use the brush and the paint, all of that. It's just been for me just such a gift to do that, but I'm constantly changing it. I'll think this is what I'm going to be taking out with me. I've found it. And then like two days later, I'm already changing it up just because I get bored. Right now, I'm kind of more in like minimalistic, which I think if you saw my minimalistic, you would be like, really? I don't think by definition, you can call that minimalistic. But, you know, if you saw my non-minimal, you'd be like, okay, we'll give you credit. Maybe that's slightly minimal. It's not 30 pounds in your bag. It's only 10 pound bag or something. I don't know. But it's just constantly changing. And I just love that. It just feels wonderful to know a whole bunch of pianos. That's kind of how I think of it. I know how to play my color pencil, piano keys. I know my watercolor markers. And so then I'm able to grab and bring those things in and play. So listeners have an idea. You'll hear us talk about sketchbook and then sellable paintings. For like the finished paintings, how many colors do you generally use for that sellable work? So any of my paint, I have always a very specific 10 colors that I use. So whether it's my acrylic paint, which is going to go on to canvas, sellable canvas and sellable paperwork, but even in my watercolor or gouache or acrylic gouache, I always have a very minimal number of colors. So sometimes when I'm out on location, I do want just some non-mixable, you know, colors that I could mix, but they're just easy. I can just grab it out of the tube because sometimes taking time to mix things, you know, if I just can grab this one tube that's already colored. But when I'm painting for sellable work, I have 10 colors. These are the colors I always have, titanium white. I have a warm yellow. Sometimes that's pad yellow, light or medium, or not too warm and not too cool. I used to have a warm and a cool uh, a yellow, both, but I found that I'm just never reaching for the lemon yellow. So it got booted out. It's out because I can just cool it down with adding a little white. So now I just have cad yellow, just a warm yellow. Then I always have a raw sienna or sometimes in another brand, it may be a yellow oxide, just basically a dirty yellow. Then I always also have a warm and a cool red. My warm red, I'll go for a vermilion or a cad red orange. I want an orangey red, even like in my color pencils or markers. I always, always go for a red that leans to an orange because it just reads brighter. It also usually mixes nicer. Usually like a cad red that's in the middle, it will dirty things up more, but an orangey red, I feel like is a more of a workhorse and I can do more with it. My cool red, I will go with either alizarin crimson or quinacridone magenta. Usually quinacridone magenta. I have found that that's got a little brightness to it. And again, is more of a workhorse. I want my colors to be able to do a lot for me. I expect a lot out of them. Now, I always have a burnt sienna and I like a transparent burnt sienna. There's just nothing worse than buying a new brand and you get it home and it's more of an opaque burnt sienna. I'm like, 
name it, tell me that. Like, I want transparent. There's just something, I don't know. I feel like burnt sienna is like the most perfect color, especially if it's transparent. It just does so much for you. Then I have a like a phthalo bluish color. Sometimes it's different names, but that kind of oceany blue. Staining usually, and that you can just barely dip your brush in it and you could paint, you know, a whole country with it. And that's usually the kind of blue you need on there. And then an ultramarine, raw umber is also another, like, I can't live without. And here's the thing that raw umber, I get really frustrated to with different paint companies because a lot of paint companies, it will be called raw umber. But when you get it, it's basically a burnt umber. It's warm. So sometimes you have to get a sepia. I don't love sepia as much, but Raw umber, that's more of the cool, it is the perfect dirtying color to like neutralize something. So if you need to knock a blue down, your ultramarine to make it just knock down a little bit, add a little of the raw umber. You can use burnt umber or a raw umber that's a warmer, but I just find that the cooler one, I really couldn't live without it. It's in any paint that I have, I have a raw umber. And then I also have a black solely for mixing greens. You get gorgeous greens with black and basically any yellow on your palette. It's a nice, natural, dirty green. You can make it lighter or darker, but that is any of my paint across the board, watercolor, gouache, acrylic gouache, or acrylic. Those are my staple colors. Well, then we're going to move into process. Could you give us a bird's eye view of your process? The short answer for any subject that I'm doing is observe from life first. So whether that's location, I'm out plein air painting, whether that's still life, or even something like, I've been doing a series of paintings from family photos, like from childhood and stuff, pulling out old family photos. So you may would say, well, that's not life, that's a photo. I don't paint from a lot of photos ever, but when I talk about observing from life, so that's a live person in that photo. It's got all the information all the details. So I'm observing whether I'm out in location in nature, I'm just swarmed with all of the details. And I am grabbing all the details to make what I call notes. So I'm making sketches and I'm not worrying about a whole lot at that point. I make sketches. So I'm observing from life, making sketches. Then I use those sketches to gather all the information that I want, making notes. And then I bring those back to the studio and make larger works, canvas paintings, larger works on paper from all those notes, if they're still interesting me, if I'm still feeling fired up about them. That's the short process. So we'll dig in. We're going to dig into each of those. So let's start with sketchbooks. First off, like when you're bringing a sketchbook out to location, how do you decide what to paint? So when I first started really getting into landscape painting, I had to really think about the process. There's just sometimes things that you don't realize so you get out there and do it. So what I started realizing was I need things that are close. I decided I want to find five or six places local that are relatively close that I feel safe, relatively safe. Someplace that has parking that I can get to. And I'm usually, you know, lugging in a lot of stuff. So I don't, I do backpack kind of into things sometimes, but you know, I got to think about the load that I'm taking in. And like I said before, the bathroom clock starts ticking. So I need it to be somewhat close to my house because I need to get there and paint and then get back. Another thing that determines it is like what I'm going to paint when I'm actually there at the spot, 
sometimes just the location itself determines it. Like, where can I sit where I have some semi view where I'm going to not be like in the path of people? I don't go for postcard scenes. I think those are the worst to pick and the hardest to paint because you've already got this kind of image, right? That you already feel like you've got this level that you've got to rise to the occasion to get the majestic waterfall or whatever. There is enough in a simple, very simple park scene or setting, or sometimes I go to this creek that's near us because I am definitely somebody who's always like, ooh, well, I wonder what's around the corner. I've learned that's the worst thing. Like, just pick a spot and plunk down because who knows what's around the corner and I can waste my whole bathroom time looking, right? So I plunk down pretty quickly when it looks like I've got a place that's comfortable. Not too many people are going to bother me probably. I'm not in the sun. There's just things like that, right? Things aren't blocking the view that I want, that kind of thing. I plunk down and I've learned that if I will just let my eyes start adjusting to that scene and looking, there's so much that it will offer. Even a very simple plain scene. There's many times when I started going to these local parks and just local places around here, I would think, well, or maybe I should go around the corner. This doesn't. And I would just say, no, just get to it. Same. You're going to have so much fun. Just get all the stuff out, start slapping paint on. And I'm often just like, wow, this place has given me so much. And I can't wait to get back here tomorrow. Like there's just so much. And then what I've done, usually at each place that I go to, there's usually a couple different spots at that park that will give me different scenes where it will sometimes look like I'm a completely different place. In some ways, this is good and some ways bad. I go back to the same spot over and over. I used to be somebody, and I think it's because I did still lifes for so long, I would get bored painting the same thing very easily. I do get bored easily, but I found going back to the same place, one, there's just ease. I know the place and know exactly where to set my chair. There's just a whole bunch I don't have to think about by going to the same place. And sometimes the same place means I'm sitting in my car. This summer, we've had some days where it's 100 degrees. And I go to the same spot and instead of getting out of my car, just crank that air up, I sit in the car and my windshield gives me a nice frame where a lot of times when I'm sitting at a place, I'm not a slave to what's in front of me. I look all around and if there's a cool bridge behind me or people behind me, I plunk those in. For me, what's on the sketchbook page, I'm the artist. I get to put whatever is in there. And so I use the whole location, like all around me, to create a scene. By going to these same locations over and over, and every single time, it's so different. The weather's different. The lighting is different. If there's one park I go to, depending on if I go in the morning or evening, if you looked at my sketches, you would never know it was the same place. Because the way the sun lights up that place in the evening, and the shadows it casts, and the different birds that are usually there, and the weather changes, the seasons change, the different people that are there. It just changes every single time. And I, so far, I have not exhausted the places that I go. I also keep a, a list of those in my phone and my notes because different places, you know, if it's going to be a cold day or rainy, well, I have the coffee shops listed that I like to go to to sit and paint the coffee shop and the people that are in there. So winter, I'm doing that a lot. I'm going to coffee shops. And places like that where I can get a coffee and just sit there with a friend and we'll sketch and talk. A lot of times, you know, maybe I'm not feeling real good 
or it's been a, a hard week and I just need really something really low key and easy. I'll look through my list and go, oh yeah, oh, this is the perfect place. Like you get in and get out. So I try to make everything just easy. You know, I want it to be quick. I want to get in and out easy and make the whole process from deciding where and what kind of a no brainer so that way I can just get to painting. For those sketchbook paintings and drawings, what are your goals for those? Because your goals for those are not like sellable work. So what are your goals for those sketchbooks? My first goal is with a sketchbook, it just frees me up. This is not a sellable painting. I don't have the postcard scene that I feel this got to rise to the occasion. It is a book that I'm never going to tear these pages out and sell. This is just for me. And because it's a sketchbook, it just immediately gives me freedom. Everything I do is about that. I want to enjoy the process more than anything. So number one, it frees me up. Number two, I'm wanting to take what I call notes while I'm there. I've got a landscape painting class called Taking Notes in the Landscape. And it's what I do, not just in the landscape, but with, when I'm in the coffee shops, wherever. I kind of think of it as, you know, when you're in class and you're frantically trying to take notes, you're scribbly, you're putting things wherever, you're drawing lines. It's not the finished with the perfect margins and everything looking typed out and beautiful. This is get it down. We got to get all the information. So it's for me getting all the notes, everything that my eyeballs go, oh, that makes me happy. I want to get that down. Thirdly, it's about giving me a book that is for me. It's not about sellable things. It's a record of my memories, of my life, of the places that I go, of the people that I meet. I think about my sketchbooks for when we go on vacation. Oh, they are so much more important to me than even photographs because as an artist, all of our senses are just so heightened when we're painting. And so when I look back at sketches, they remind me of the smells and the sounds and the conversations. And there's just so much attached to it. Even if it's in quotations, I'm doing here a bad sketch, something I'm never going to use maybe. It just is, oh, it's so important to me. And my sketchbooks are literally invaluable to me. Like they're really, really important to me. And I have people all the time asking to buy my sketchbooks. And I very quickly, I'm like, no, they're not for sale. If my husband's around, Grady would be like, well, how much? And I'm like, no, we are actually going to start making books of my sketchbooks because so many people ask about them. We're probably going to do them in themes and stuff like that. But man, they're just invaluable to me. I love them. And I find so much creativity. I don't really know what I want to paint today. I just grab one sketchbook off my shelf. Well, okay. I just acted like I was all organized. I don't grab it off the shelf. I will grab it under the piles of stuff that's on my desk. So I'll be like, here's 10 sketchbooks with all kinds of other stuff piled on top. I grab something out of the pile, flip through. Usually within 10 seconds, I'm finding something that I'm like, oh, okay, that looks fun. And then I'll paint from it. You really have the clear distinction between selling and not selling. And so often artists don't have that distinction. Like if it gets good enough, we think like, oh, well, maybe I could sell this. For you, from just like a creativity freedom standpoint, how important is having that really clear distinction? Like this is a place that I am not selling. This is a place for other things. Man, I think it's just so important 
I can't tell you how many people will say to me, oh, I'm just getting into art and can you tell me how to make art and sell it? And I'm like, like, no, 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 no. Like that is the worst thing you could do for your art practice is to think about selling, like create, create. Like what you need to work on most is how you think about the process. So for me, early on, I realized I like to paint very loose and that's always been a goal of mine. And I found that we all know that, you know, painting a lot is what helps us grow. And I want to enjoy the process. For me, selling is not at the top of the list. It's I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So everything from the brushes I pick, the way that I mix the paint, the paper that I use, everything is about, I need to enjoy this. And I could care less if somebody else doesn't want to buy it because I use this or whatever. I don't care. Like I love creating. And so the reality is most really prolific artists are creating probably far more behind the scenes than what is shared and shown. And I think that's probably what makes beginners think because they're just seeing the shown stuff like, oh, that's what artists do. And it's like, no, most of us behind the scenes are creating bucket loads. The reason is because as an artist, whether you like it or not, and no matter how old you are and how long you've been painting, you make a ton of bad work, period. That is how you get good. All the good work stands on the bad work. And you can never make good work unless you've made a lot of bad work. And early on, I realized that and I thought, well, you know what? If I have to make a lot of bad work, I want to at least enjoy the process of making the bad work. So I work hard mentally and with my materials and set up to enjoy everything about it. I want any roadblock to be out of the way, whether it's the yappity stuff that goes on in my head that I need to be like, zip it, shut up. You don't get to say those things to me right now. We're having fun with the paint. Don't tell me, oh, my whole identity is wrapped up in this. No, 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 it's not. Zip, zip, zip. We're having fun, splashing paint around. So I want to enjoy the process. I want to work hard at that. I want to enjoy the bad work. And I just really wish people would realize how wonderful it is to keep a sketchbook, how wonderful it is to make work just for yourself. And it's not just for yourself. It all goes into my sellable pieces. It's also a lot of the work that I share right now. That's all I've been sharing for quite a while is my sketchbook work because I've been making work behind the scenes on canvas and sellable stuff that I've not wanted to show anybody until I got a finished body of work done. I just feel like it's really man, up there with top of the list important. I think besides just learning materials, what it does for you and giving you the practice, there's more practice in the mindset and the things that you're saying to yourself as you're doing that work. And sometimes we just really need to be given the permission to know that this is not sellable. So that's why it's in my sketchbook. Like nobody's going to purchase this to give you the freedom. Sometimes you just have to like implement things that are going to give you freedom because it's really hard to have that. I don't know why that is, but it just is. I think we're always trying to get back to that kid, the child. I mean, maybe it would make it to the fridge. You know what I mean? Maybe the mom would, right? And that's great, but we really didn't even care. Like we're just in there with the crayon, slapping it on. It was just so fun for that red crayon to slide across the page and make the crazy hair, you know, and put the eyeballs in the wrong place. That's what I want in me every time when I'm creating work. And what happens is because I'm creating so much of this kind of what maybe somebody would say practice work or work that's not sellable. When I get to the canvas, man, I am so practiced up on that. 
and I just can do the same thing. It just comes out of me. Like that's the muscle that I've been strengthening and working on learning my pain, you know, learning the piano keys, working on the mindset of just having fun, enjoying it. And the more you enjoy it, the more you're going to do it. You know, if you leave your painting process every time and you feel like you need to have a massage and like have a glass of wine, how often are you really going to do that? You know what I mean? Not a lot. How do you know that you're ready to begin working on canvas or working on paper that's in the sellable category? A couple of different ways. Sometimes it's because I have kind of like wrung that subject to its utmost. So these paintings that I've been doing in the studio on canvas have been from the last two years of going to these parks over and over and over and learning them, hearing what all they could say to me and taking all the notes. Then it's kind of like, okay, I'm ready. Like I know this place. I know the materials. I know these marks that I'm seeing in my sketchbook are exciting me. And sometimes it's just like, oh, I need to do that big. (laughs) That's sometimes how it's like, I need to make those marks of that tree big. And I know exactly which brush and what paints. And so sometimes it's because I've kind of like a tea bag. I've soaked in it enough, learned it, tasted it. Yep. It's been exciting me for months and years and I've been practicing and now I've got all these notes and I'm ready to go to the canvas and make those. And then other times it's just even just flipping through my sketchbook and something just excites me. And because I already know that all the piano keys, I can just put that on canvas. Sometimes it's also just because I feel excited about it. Like I'm not bored. You know, sometimes there's things that's kind of, okay, that was, that was fun to paint my sketchbook. Mm, I don't, okay, move on kind of thing. But often it's because I just still have something left in me and want to take that bigger. And I just kind of know it, you know, I know the subject well, and I know that it needs to need to do that bigger. It's never, oh, because this could sell. It's just not for me. Like, I just can't paint like that. You know, people that want to do like, hire me to paint stuff. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here, you can come look at my stuff and buy it. But there's just, if you add, pre- like, I just cannot, I don't want the pressure. I can't paint something I'm not excited about. Forget it. You know how people say, I feel like I don't really get this. I hear people say it, but I don't really get it. Like, oh, you can tell that that meal was made with love. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. It just tastes good. I don't know if the person like really felt love for me when they were making it or had love for cook. I don't know. It just tastes good. But you know, they say that like chefs and stuff. And I kind of feel like that's how it is with painting for me. It's like, oh, I want the the joy that I had painting this, like come out in the mark making and what I was doing. I don't even know if I could paint a painting if I was just kind of like, eh, I've got to do that. I just don't think I could. Because you have all of those ideas across all those different sketchbooks, how do you sort of both physically in your space, but also like mentally, how do you take all those ideas and like then bring them onto the canvas? That's for me, like the most exciting part. So let's take these landscape paintings, these notes I've been taking out on location. So I'm going out, taking all the notes, you know, the bird flies by that I'm like, oh, I got to get the bird in and I'm slapping it on. Maybe it's not in the right place. I'm not normally thinking about composition. Exactly. Those things do intuitively come out and value and things like that. But it's not like I don't take time to think it out. Man, I'm slapping it on. Anything that I'm like, oh, that tree and the way the light's hitting it, slap it down. A lot of that too, because I'm working quickly and just slopping it on and getting it down. It's creating marks that if I was being thoughtful and slow about it, 
I'm not going to get the same marks. I'm not going to get the same splashes. I'm often even just laying my loaded paintbrush. I'm just laying it down on the sketchbook to like reach for something on the ground. And there's just marks and like life that's happening while I'm out there that all go into these sketches. So I'm visiting these places over and over. I'm taking all the notes, not worrying about a whole lot, but just getting things down. And then I come back into the studio and maybe a very similar scene that I've been capturing, maybe the same little grove of trees with geese or whatever. I will bring those back into the studio. I'm usually marking them with little sticky note things because maybe there's five of them in one sketchbook, two in another. So I've got those all marked out and spread basically any place that I can find a place to lay a sketchbook. I'm usually pulling chairs in from the other room to lay them and they're just stacked everywhere. And then what I do is the same thing that I did on location or looking at a still life. I get my observational eyes on. And even though I'm looking at a sketchbook sketch, it still takes your eyes time to warm up. And as I'm looking at these sketches, I start seeing things that I didn't maybe just at first glance. Oh, look at that little bit of purple that I probably didn't even mean to get that in there. But man, that really works for that part of the tree. And then I'm translating that. So what I do, just like I do in nature, when I'm out there, I'm picking whatever. So maybe the bridge that's behind me or this whatever over here to the left, and I'm making a sketch, I'm making a painting on a page. I do the same thing on a canvas. I'm picking and choosing things from these sketches. So this sketch, for some reason, I wanted to make a note about the way the sun was just so bright that day. And man, something about the way I slapped that color on, it just said it, maybe even the way the brush stroke was. So then I'm trying to translate that maybe in a different medium, because maybe that was with a Neocolor 2 or a paint marker, and it's just going to be a different color than I have in my paint. But it, it excites me. And then I have to try to figure out how to translate that. But then I'm making a whole different painting. I'm not just taking one sketch and trying to paint that sketch. I'm taking all of it and making a new painting. And for me, one of the best parts is the observing. Just letting my eyes adjust, I feel like it's one of the best gifts as an artist. There's something so sweet about observing and then being able to, with something in our hand, translate that. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we can really define it, but even just the act of observing, sometimes I'm like gazing off at something. My husband and I are like eating breakfast and he, he'll be looking over like, what's over there? And I'm like, man, look at the way that light's coming through that glass. And then it's doing this and he, he'll look, he's like, yeah, I don't see that. <laughs> I'll be like. It just feels wonderful. I think part of it is because as artists, because we do observe in whatever way we do it, we see better. I mean, often on like hikes and stuff, I'm pointing things out to my husband that he normally wouldn't see because my eyes are in just like ultra, you know, just seeing all the different colors and look how that leaf is like, and I'll say a different, you know, color that he's like, could you just say like green or I'm like, no, I can't like it's like this reddish brownish undertone with speckles of orange and so for me, like being able to either observe in nature or a still life, whatever that is and the way the shadows are, or observing my own sketches and really looking, that's the first step of just pure joy and then being able to load up a paintbrush and try to interpret that in a different way with a different medium. Just the whole thing about it feels so life-giving and exciting. For you, when you're looking at those sketchbooks laid out, do you sort of map on, get a big drawing down and big placement of shapes? Or 
would you literally like start with the thing that you were observed and like excited to joy, like the bridge, and then just start with the bridge? So there's two ways that I start, and it really doesn't matter if it's a sketchbook page or a canvas. I start two different ways, and there's really no rhyme or reason. It's really just what I'm feeling that day or sometimes what the time limit or the subject kind of calls for. But I'll usually start with a warm orange and just sketch in big shapes, just a little bit of a map. And if I've messed up with that, let's say I'm drawing a figure, sketching in a figure that's walking past me in the park really quick, and maybe I've made it way too big or put it in the wrong spot, I'll grab a blue. So it's a different value and a different cool and just sketch it again. And so I don't erase. I love the marks that are left there. All that does is add. I'm already adding depth and mark making and things that I will often then put in a finished painting. And then if I'm on canvas, though, I won't use a pencil, but I will use a brush and maybe just kind of, again, very small map to make sure the proportions, especially if it's a pretty large canvas, just to make sure I like where those big shapes, just kind of thinking about composition a little bit. Now, all that can always change. But I just start sometimes like that. But other times, I am just in the mood to get the shape in, maybe an anchoring thing, something that I know that I know that I know that I want that figure right here, or there is no doubt that tree is going right here and I'm going to build everything else around it. And that's whether it's a sketchbook or canvas. And that usually has to do with composition. And sometimes it can just be because it's like, I just want to put this, like, sometimes I do just jump to the, like, I'm the good parts. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm like, don't put the good parts in yet. Like the parts, you can't just wait to like put that mark in save it because you're going to get bored. Like if you get all the good parts in early, you're going to be like, oh, now I don't, that you know, already the best. But I am usually thinking shapes and composition. And then because I do work in acrylic, I just don't worry about mistakes. Even if I'm not working in acrylic and I'm working with something that you can't really erase, whether it's color pencils and neo colors and stuff, I just don't worry about mistakes because I've learned from years and years of doing this, mistakes are your best friends. All they do is add to the texture of things, the layering of things, even if I'm going to cover something up with maybe like a paint marker, I've got kind of this paint marker that you can think of as like white out. It's always going to be semi-transparent. And unless I'm going to, which I, I don't want to do this, take time to do multiple layers to completely block it out, but just one thing to kind of push it back just adds depth. So I've just learned, don't be fearful of mistakes because for me, at least in the way that I paint, all they do are they're almost always just blessings. Like that just made me do something so different because I've got to rework that. Gives me freedom and it always just adds. I wish we could kind of get that freedom. I think once I started learning that or anytime I feel that fear, like, oh no, especially towards the end of a painting or a sketch and things have been going real good and you start feeling, I always know because like I'm leaning it, I'm getting a little too close to the canvas and I'm like, oh no, did I just get paint on my nose? Step back, Sandy. Or everything's getting a little tight in my body. I'm leaning over the sketch and I'm holding that thing with a little tighter grip. And I'm like, I usually will preach to myself, Sandy, this thing was going really good. And everything in your body is saying you're about to really mess this up. So you've been loose. You've been free. You've been having joy. Just stick with that because you've learned from experience. This is the best way to mess up a painting is to get all, oh no, I'm going to mess it up. And you know that mess ups and mistakes are just gifts of Keep that all the way to the very, very, very end. How do you build up a painting? Do you build up the whole painting at a time or do you sort of finish an area or some other way that you build up a painting? I am usually working over the entire surface. 
I try to start with getting the big shapes, the biggest shapes to fill the entire paper or canvas. The reason I said I try to do that is that sometimes there's just something you just got to get in and something I can't wait to like slap down on the paper, then I'll put that in and work around it. But I do try to work not only from big shapes, but also furthest to nearest. But I don't always do that because I do find that maybe I'm painting a tree with leaves. Normally would want to make, you would think like maybe somebody that, you know, is actually doing stuff in a thoughtful manner would want to paint the sky in and then the tree. But one of the things that I've found is if I paint the tree and the leaves in first, and then I'm painting the sky or whatever's behind it, the way those brush marks come in and layer over the tree creates a different edge because edges are really important. So I don't get really too caught up in it, but I try to start with like, let's fill this in. Not so much because that's the best layering method, but mainly because it helps me with value. I feel like if I can just kind of get, maybe if we're talking about a landscape, the land and the water and the sky in, especially the sky, then I can judge the value of everything. But sometimes I'm not that patient. Sometimes I'm just getting in there, slopping in. But I don't struggle as much with value when I do that. <laughs> and I'm a little more thoughtful about it. But I do work in layers. So more transparent kind of things and layering things up and zooming in and zooming out. So going into the things that are behind everything else, but then also putting some things that are forward. A lot of it's just very intuitive too. I'm feeling what the subject calls for. Yeah, when you're thinking about those layers, like you get the values in for this example, get the values in and now you're building layers. Like if you've got a pond with geese in it and you've got the blue in, you've got the value in, like what layers then are you building on top of and how are you figuring out that next layer? Like how do you build those individual layers? I'm using my sketches as reference. So I'm looking at those marks and just interpreting. I'm looking at seven or eight different sketches of geese and they all have little personalities and looks about them. And I'm looking at the way I put marks on and I can tell the way that I put that mark on. And depending on what material it was, I'm trying to translate that. So that's my guide is the mark making and the colors. And is it transparent? Is it opaque? Like I'm letting those things teach me. And sometimes it's a matter of like, I'm thinking about these family photos that I've been making paintings of. Sometimes I know myself and I know what things I'm going to get tight on that I don't want to be tight on. So a figure, and especially if I'm looking at a picture of me and my sister on Christmas, and so there's memories tied to it. There's already, you know, stuff that's like not, this is not working for me. So I need to get them in because if everything else starts going good and then I save them for last, you can forget it. I'm going to be so tight. It's not going to please me because it's not going to be the looseness that I'm after. So I will start with the figures, obviously the face, get the proportions. So that's kind of more of the top layers, what I would think about it. And then I'm going to build the room and the background behind it. So then I am carving them. But sometimes because I know myself, I know I need to get this bird in early because I don't need to be painting every feather because that's not going to go with the rest of the painting because I want a loose bird that's not the star of the show. He's not the star. I need to get him early because if not, it's not going to go well. So sometimes it's knowing yourself as an artist too and what your end goal is. My end goal is always the looseness and abstraction. And so some of the things that are so important to me, like enjoying the process, the looseness, the colorfulness, and 
I want the painting to say more than details. Like those are the the sign, the banner hanging over me that I'm always filtering everything else through. So that dictates a lot of the path on the map for me. And I think that's why I say a lot of the thought process is what's so much more important. And people always just want to see like, well, how are you putting that down? I'm like, there's so much more behind this than what's coming out of my brush. It's the way I'm thinking about this process. And so it's things like knowing yourself. I know I'm painting figures. I know how I can get that face loose and how I'm going to enjoy it. But if I do the scene first, I cannot get to that. It's just not going to work. So as you're doing all that practice stuff or doing your sketches, be analyzing those things, analyzing and thinking about what is most important to me. And if that's, I want to sell paintings, I don't know. There's just more to that. You know what I mean? I think you need to think a little more about the things that truly are. Do you like color? Do you like to draw? Standing up, sitting down. There's just so much about it as an artist that you need to evaluate. Well, if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice do you give them? I'm going to give the same advice that everybody says, but I want to look at it a little different. Everybody says, paint a lot or draw a lot, which is so true. So what we hear when we somebody says that is, I need to practice painting a lot. And what I mean by that is practice a lot of other things more than just pencil to paper or paint to canvas. You need more head work, mental work, than you probably need paint work. So practice thinking rightly, you know, that's kind of a phrase, like working on those muscles of like, do you even notice what you're thinking and saying to yourself as you're doing this? Are you sifting that at all to say that that's right or wrong or good? Are you filling in blanks that you don't need to be filling in? Are you coming to that, that canvas or that sketchbook with your whole life identity? (laughs) So often that is what we're saying. It's like, My whole life needs to be like, somebody sees this, it needs to say everything about who I am as an artist. No, it does not. It's just one piece of paper or one canvas and just turn the page. Like, it's fine if you mess up. I want to zip those things. Like, that is just not true that my whole, but we bring that like, da, 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 got to paint this sketch and people are walking by and they see it. Like, I need them to see this and think she's amazing. That is not what I want to be saying to myself. So there's practice of saying, you know what, these people walking by that may come and see this at the beginning or mid painting, it's just like if I walked into a chef's kitchen and all they have done is measured out everything. And I went, well, that doesn't look like a fancy cake. They'd be like, yeah, I'm in the beginning process, come back. You know what I mean? Like, it would kind of understand that. But so what I have to say to myself is, They don't understand that process. And that's either going to be okay. And I'm going to press past that because I want this so bad. And I'm going to work on silencing those voices and speaking truth back to them, which is they don't get that this is the middle of the process. And you know what? I'm not going to ever see these people again. And who cares? Just get back to it. Just get in it, Sandy. You know, the things, but that's not what we do. We don't push back on those things. So that's part of the paint a lot. I'm doing that in quotations. That's part of paint a lot. Practice and think about, analyze what you're even saying in the identity that you're bringing to that and everything wrapped up into it. Holy moly. I'm like, you're just not going to paint a lot if that's what you're bringing to this. So in the paint a lot, doing quotation marks, it's things like work on the obstacles that are there. Things like, do you have an easy setup and tear down? I work hard at that in acrylics class that I have. I talk about that, my setup, and I want my acrylics to be easy in and easy out. And 
I don't want a ton of time. I also want things to be accessible to me. Now, that does not mean you have to have a studio. My accessibility early on was I turned my kitchen island countertop into my studio. So I would stir spaghetti and then I would turn around and paint. You know, that was where it was, where it could be set up. It wasn't, you know, everybody else had to use other parts of the kitchen, but it was just there and ready for me to use. I didn't have to like go get the box of supplies out from the closet and set it up, have a place and work on your method to be something that you enjoy and take delight in. Like it's fun for me to take the lid off of this, you know, thing of paints that's already set up for me. It's not fun for me to have to do blah, blah, whatever, you know, the things that feel like, oh, this feels drudgery. Find another way. There's other ways, like research it, look at other artists, how they're storing their paints or how they store things. And for me, that's always fun to like, I'm always like rearranging stuff and find the sketchbooks that you like, find out what kind of paper, if you're painting on paper, do you like something with texture or do you like smooth? Do you like canvas that it's like normal canvas. I love painting on a polyester, very smooth canvas. I like smooth surfaces. That's how I'm able to get texture, which may be surprising. Think about practicing. When you hear somebody say, do it a lot, it's practicing your materials. As I've said before, learning your materials, which is low key stuff and high key stuff. It's the finished painting on canvas and low work. I also feel like people don't put a lot of thought into this. And I think it's just because of my for health, like I have a lot of health issues. So sometimes the ceiling of energy is low or I'm on the couch for months from a surgery or things like that. I've developed a lot of processes that allow me, whether the ceiling is high or low, to be able to do art. I have some videos on my YouTube channel that talk about that. I talk about it on Instagram and on my Substack also. And it's things like one, I am interested in a lot of set different subjects because I'm getting bored easily, but different subjects are easier than others to me. And so on a not feeling well day, I'm probably not going to pick certain subjects or certain, you know, I'm not going to go to a canvas. I'm part of some Patreon groups that figure everything out for me so I can watch a video and they're going to bring the photos to draw and just tell me what to do. Give me exercises. It's just a no brainer. I have methods like painting from other sketches so I can just open a sketchbook and flip through and just do a low-key quick sketch. I have certain materials that take more effort than others. My color pencils and neocolors don't have to clean up afterwards. They're just in a box all smushed together. You know, it feels fun rooting through that box to find the right neocolor, but it's easy. And so because of so many different mediums that I'm using, some are easier to use and require more work, cleanup or setup than others. Because of these, and I've taken time to learn all these different pianos and the keys of these different pianos, it makes it really easy for me daily to do art. Like today, because of this interview and a meeting I had this morning and other just life things, the only art I did today was last week, I'd gotten some new gouache acrylics in. And in reality, I know what those are going to do, but I thought, well, listen, so I did some color charts and smushed some paints around and pushed some colors to see what could I get out of them. And I wet a brush and it was really fun. And I learned some things from it. And that's probably all I have to do today. But other days I'm painting all day long. And I've also developed things if I'm laid up on the couch from surgery, like those things, I knew a surgery was coming and it's like, okay. I want to get things in order because I want to be able to, man, there's nothing that passes time quicker than doing art. And so if I'm sick or 
if I'm, you know, laid up from surgery or something, that's just the best time. It's time to take on a new subject and practice something new or save up art videos to watch that are going to whet my appetite and make me, okay, I wasn't, I was too tired. Oh, because of that, you know, pain medicine or Benadryl that I took to, oh no, like give me my stuff, crazy, go grab my supplies, I need to like do some stuff. So, you know, I've always got things to watch or look at that I'm saving up too. If I just need a little like step of inspiration, you know, to kind of make me just seeing somebody sometimes swoosh a big loaded paintbrush across the page can be like, okay, I gotta go paint. You know, kind of like what you were talking about early on, I was talking about those things and you're like, this makes me want to go paint. So I have those things in places, whether they're photos on Instagram or videos on YouTube. I've got those things saved up in places that I just need a little, don't know what to do. That often is what we're like, well, I don't know. I've got methods in place to help me do that. And you can find a lot of that on my YouTube channel too, just inspiration and, and other artists and things like that. Like that's what I want to do is help inspire and help the thinking process of people and help us do these things without all the stuff that gets in the way, which is a lot of times just ourselves and our thinking and our blah, 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 that goes on in our, in our head. So yes, paint a lot, draw a lot, but there's more to that picture than just pencil to paper or paint to canvas. It's so much more than that. You can learn more about Sandy Hester, including her workshops at www.sandyhester.com. And on Instagram, her excellent YouTube channel and Substack, and we'll link to everything in the show notes, including Sandy has a great list on her website of all of her favorite materials, and she's included links in there. So we'll link to that as well in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sandy. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you so much. It's such an honor that you would have me on your show. And it's just been great to talk with you and work with you. You're just the best. And I love your podcast. I can't wait to share it with everybody. So thank you. That's it for today's show, but there's more great conversation with Sandy Hester in the Podcast Art Club. In her extended cut bonus, we talk about focal points and why you may or may not need one, and Hester explains how she thinks through what she sees and then how she translates that to actual layers of paint. Head to the show notes at learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 93 to find the link to listen. Thank you to everyone over in the Podcast Art Club. You make this show possible six years running. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Pam Lyle, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting!